Good morning. The scripture reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, and that is on page 1014 in your pew Bible. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Well, several days ago, I had to go in for a heart cath, and when I was just lying there, the nurse came up and said she needed to get the IV started and um, asked a few questions, and I answered, and then she says, well, I can tell you're not from Illinois. Where are you from? So I told her, you know, North Carolina, and she said, well, my mother's from Alabama, so just want you to know I recognize an authentic southern accent when I hear it. <laughs> um, but when we lived in um, Mississippi, the locals there were convinced that I had a northern accent. So I explained, I grew up in North Carolina and went to college in East Tennessee. So I am a native southerner, as are my parents and grandparents and great-grandparents as far back as we can count, you know, all come from uh, hill country in North Carolina. But uh, there was a young man there who was um, studying to be a, a doctor, a, a physician, and uh, he was not impressed. And he said, uh, we don't consider North Carolina to be part of the South. Uh, Okay, well, what states do you consider to be part of the South? Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, parts of Arkansas. <laughs> Went into the insurance office there in town and uh, talking to them about uh, getting insurance for our, our house and so forth. And as we were talking, the, the lady behind the counter said, you're not from around here, are ye? Uh, you know, just little things like that to remind you that, you know, you're not really home. You're, you're somewhere else. And the underlying message there is that you don't really belong here. Well, if you can relate to that in any way, then you can relate to the people that Peter is speaking to. He calls them elect exiles. They are strangers in the world. They've been scattered all over uh, what we would call Asia Minor today, in those days it was just known as, as Asia, uh, but we would know it as uh, Turkey. So anyway, these people who are living in Asia Minor uh, don't feel like outsiders because they have different accents than the people uh, who, are, who are living there. Uh, they feel like outsiders because they have a different religion. Now, Christianity was a minority religion. It was something that was new. In the early days, it was considered uh, a sect of Judaism. And so uh, for a Gentile to become a, a Christian then was, was just remarkable. 
but in our day, for a Jew to become a Christian, uh, that's really remarkable. But anyway, uh, everyone who embraced the gospel in the early days of the church would have been ostracized and persecuted because they upset the norms of the religion of the Romans, which was the, the idol worship. The first Christian centuries were accused of, of a lot of things, like uh, incest and cannibalism. They were accused of incest because they called each other brother and sister. Said, you know that he married his sister? You know, things like that. And uh, they were also accused of cannibalism. Uh, eating the flesh of Jesus and drinking his blood? Ugh. I mean, how disgusting can you get? So the Romans regarded the Christians as just weird. Does that ring true with you? Does it seem to you that the world regards us as strange and weird? Well, in uh, recent years, the contemporary church has done its best to get rid of the weirdness that's associated with Christianity. The reasoning goes something like this. If we could get the world to accept um, us as, as just regular people who are no different than anybody else, then they will accept us. And so um, more than a few churches adopted the world's music along with the world's marching, uh, marketing strategies. And uh, more than a few streams of the church have seen the need to update everything from its theology to the Bible to God himself in order to accommodate uh, sin that is popular with the masses. And why? Because we want to fit in. We want to be like everybody else. We want to be accepted. And we tell ourselves, if the world accepts us, then we can accept them and we can be more effective that way. But not everyone agrees that we need to drop the weirdness of Christianity. There's a book on the market by a guy named Mike Frost who uh, wrote a book. I love the title, Keep Christianity Weird. And his book, uh, the author reminds his readers that Jesus was never mainstream. As followers of Christ, the hallmark of our faith is that we see the world differently than the world sees itself. We are called to be, when we say weird, we mean eccentric, all-center, unique, different, unconformed to the world. In other words, Keep the weirdness in Christianity. Resist the allure of acceptance by the world and be equipped to surprise the world with the good news it doesn't even know that it's looking for. So this is the message of the book, Keep Christianity Weird. But it's also the message of another book, the book that we are just now being introduced to, the book of First Peter. In fact, uh, you'll find this all the way through the Bible, but it's particularly true with uh, this epistle of Peter that we are beginning uh, today. Today, uh, we begin the new series of sermons, and I've uh, titled the uh, series Faith Under Fire. Uh, but I want to title today's message, even though it says something different in the bulletin, uh, 
keep Christianity weird. I, I, I really like how that sounds. So let's talk about it. In his letter, Peter focuses on the importance of believers holding up when their faith is under fire. His readers are about to go through some extreme suffering. Persecution is on the horizon. It, it's out there. You can see it coming because it's going on in, in, in other parts of the Roman Empire. It hasn't reached the place where these exiles are just yet, but Peter is telling them you know, it's, it's coming, so be ready for it when it, it does come. And to help you endure the persecution, he, he is saying that you need to know that God is with you. Otherwise, th their faith is going to be destroyed when persecution comes. You know, when your, your life or the lives of those whom you love is on the line, uh, you'll say or do just about anything in order to hang on uh, to, to life. Um, uh, Peter is wanting to communicate with these exiles that you know, the times of, of testing are, are going to come. And if you know that God is with you. You see, it's just opposite of the message of the world. The, the world was telling those people, as the world is telling us today, you don't belong. You're, you're not one of us. You're, you're different. Uh, you're weird. But Peter counteracts that message by saying, look, e even though the world does regard you as weird and not part of them and you, you don't belong, God wants you to know that you do belong to him. You belong to him because he went out and selected you to be a part of his family. And he develops that. He introduces the theme here right out of the gate. I mean, Peter no more than says, hey, y'all, uh, this is, I assume Peter was Southern. Um, you know, his accent gave him away once when he was uh, in the courtyard and a young maiden said, uh, you know, we know you're a Galilean, your accent gives you away. So uh, anyway, if Peter was Southern, he, he would say something like, hey, y'all, uh, this is Peter writing to you, you know, Peter the Apostle. And then uh, he's, he says, to those who are elect exiles. Is this working? Maybe not. Okay, well, just cuddle up and look at the fake fire and uh, feel warmed and filled, I guess. So let me just read the, the passage here again. Uh, Peter says, uh, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is encouraging news. Let's understand what Peter is saying. He's saying, don't be discouraged that the world doesn't accept you because your religion seems weird. Keep on being weird. It's the weird stuff about Christianity that gives you the assurance that you do belong to God. Well, now that we understand the basic message, let's unpack some of the weird things in these verses so we can see just how secure we are and God, even though the world around us continually tells us that we do not belong. Uh, now see that the uh, words are up on the screen. So uh, let's see if I can get to the one I want. Okay. 
Let's look at this one for a moment. To those who are elect exiles. Look at that. I mean, he, he can't get through one verse without bringing up a controversial subject. And uh, he goes on in verse 2 talking about uh, according to the foreknowledge of, of God the Father. All right. What is Peter saying here to these people whom the world has rejected? Is he saying that their exile was actually a part of God's election of them or his choosing of them? Yeah, that's what he's saying. He's saying, I have, I have a plan for your life. The plan for your life is to be part of my family and to endure persecution. Yeah, I don't like that plan. Uh, is there another plan, you know, where it's uh, you know, a little more comfortable, more cushy, and, and so forth? Uh, but Peter is saying, you know, God has a plan for your life. He wants you to go through this so that you can be a living testimony uh, to the world around you. And to sustain you during this time, I want you to know that you are absolutely secure. You are safe in my hands. You know, for some people, uh, th these uh, doctrines of e election and, and suffering, uh, they're very unsettling. Um, they're just weird. It, it doesn't seem to, to, to fit what we, how, how we want to live. And so sometimes we're tempted. Can we just drop the weird stuff about Christianity when we hear it? Well, a lot of people want to, but if you do, you're going to lose something. Uh, here's what you're going to lose. You're going to lose the assurance that you belong to God. You want to give that up? I want that, whatever weirdness that comes with it. And so let's look at this term here, the elect exiles. What does that mean? Well, in all of the instances in the Bible where you see the term chosen or elect it's used to describe God's people in the state of redemption so the, the chosen the elect these are the ones uh, who are redeemed uh, the term exile refers to those who have left their homeland uh, sometimes to escape persecution sometimes for economic reasons uh, but for whatever reason people do move around sometimes uh, because the army has come in from another nation and taken over your nation and resettled you somewhere. But anyway, we have all these people uh, who are having to leave their homeland for, for whatever reason. Uh, a good bit of it probably due to persecution. But eventually it does catch up with them. And so Peter is writing to encourage these exiles by reminding them that they have been chosen by God according to the foreknowledge of God. Well, what does that mean? Can't Peter just talk about encouraging things without bringing theology into it? No. You know why? You can't endure persecution without good theology. You need correct understanding of who God is uh, in order to endure the things that he calls you to go through. Well, can we talk about this for a minute? I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time, but I want to define some terms just so that we can understand uh, what Peter is saying. And uh, I mean, we're doing it in the context of the weird stuff that Christians believe, right? So, okay, it's safe for me to talk about it. Um, 
some think that foreknowledge means this, that you know, God looked down the corridor of time and he saw who would respond to his salvation and then he, he chose them on that basis. And um, you know, he made sure that their salvation would really happen. Uh, but it doesn't really explain. It's, it's more like you know, someone who works in a dentist office who calls you up and says, you have an appointment. Uh, like our dentist, you know, it's a, a, a recording. You know, so-and-so has, a, has an appointment at our office at such and such a time. Uh, that you know, God is sort of like that. That uh, you know, He just makes the appointment uh, in response to our desires. You know, that's how some define the foreknowledge of God. But uh, there's another explanation uh, that goes like this: that you know, God determines who will be saved, but only in a corporate way, not in an individual way. Uh, that is, uh, that. God made the decision uh, that all who believed in Christ would be saved. That is, the, the church, which is made up of believers in Christ, uh, they were chosen for salvation, and uh, individuals enter into that election when they express their faith in God. And then others explain this verse by saying that when God chose us according to his foreknowledge, he did it... Um, based on seeing something good in us. So in, in, in other words, they tell you that God chose you because uh, before the foundation of the world, he saw that there, was, uh, there, there would be something good in you. But that's not what Peter is saying. Now, it does say that we were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, but it doesn't say that we were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God because there was something good in us. And for some people, this is very unsettling. And um, I mean, I, had, I struggled with this for years and years. And there were times that I, I would hear this and I would just get up and walk out. So if, if you get up and walk out, hey, it's okay. I mean, uh, I understand. I've done that myself. I won't be offended um, much. But. But when we come to stuff in the Bible, you know, it's good that we, we, we can talk about it. Um, so uh, that's about all I want to say about foreknowledge at, at this time. But it's good for us to mention it in the context of, uh, you know, the, the, the weird stuff that's in the Bible, the, the weird stuff that, that we believe. Uh, it just seems to be, you know, totally beyond our ability to comprehend. But um, one more thing about foreknowledge. Um, it's really not events that God foreknows. I mean, in his omniscience, he knows everything that's going to happen. But the, the term foreknowledge doesn't really apply to events. It applies to people. Uh, the, the word knew, uh, if you would go to uh, the book of Genesis and you'll read the verse there where it says that Adam knew his wife and she bore a son, Cain. Uh, the, the word new, you know, that means they had relations. Uh, so it's, it's intimacy. So when the Bible says that God foreknew us, here, here's what he's saying. Before we ever came into being, uh, God loved us. He, he chose us. He called us uh, to himself. Uh, there, there's something that uh, J.I. Packer said, too. I don't know where it was from, but 
I read this in an article somewhere, but I, I love what he says. To be foreknown by God is to be foreloved by him. So if you're a Christian, why are you a Christian? It's because God loved you with an everlasting love. Before there was a you, he chose you. Before there was a you, he, he called you. He foreknew you. You know, he didn't simply anticipate that you would choose him and therefore elected you and aligned his purposes with your free decision. That's not what it says. He saw that you would never choose him if left to yourself. Because as Ephesians tells us, we are dead in our trespasses and our sins and therefore cannot respond unless new life comes to us. And Peter will talk about that when he talks about being born again. A lot of heavy stuff right out of the gate. You know, these terms, election, foreknowledge, uh, they're, they're hard to understand. Uh, it's weird stuff to us. But if you leave it out, you'll never really comprehend the depth of the love of God. To know that he loved you before you ever came into being, you know, God will never stop loving us because he never started loving us. You understand what that means? It means that there was never a point where God's love began and you could measure it. It's from eternity to eternity. That's weird stuff, but it is awesome. All right, that's, that's the first weird thing is uh, this stuff about election and, and, and foreknowledge. Uh, let's leave that weird thing for a moment and go on to the next weird thing. The sanctification of the Spirit. Uh, let's see if I got, yeah, here we go. The sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ. You know, we don't use that word sanctification too much. And uh, one reason that we probably don't use it is because it's, it's just a weird word. You know, to sanctify something literally means <clears throat> to set apart for a holy purpose. So we call this room a sanctuary because it has been set apart for a holy purpose. Uh, the word sanctify and the word holy are very closely related. Uh, the word holy means set apart, and the word uh, holiness could also be defined as otherness. You know, it's, it's separate, it's different. Uh, the world might say it's, it's just weird. So... In the eyes of the world, the idea of being holy or set apart for a holy purpose, it, it's just plain weird. It's because holiness and worldliness are, are polar opposites. And so when the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, he makes us holy, he sets us apart for a holy purpose, he gives us the desire to know more, he grants us understanding, he convicts us of sins, and he brings us to Jesus. He is the source of all spiritual growth. His work begins in us before we believe, and it continues until we get to heaven. And he completes his work in us when we are finally glorified in God's presence. No one is ever saved apart from the Spirit, and no one grows as a Christian without the Spirit of God. So this means that my salvation doesn't start with me. It starts with God's work in me. I don't choose him. He chooses me. 
He's the one who makes it all happen. Salvation is of God. It is supernatural. It is miraculous. So write this down in big letters. <laughs> no one is ever saved apart from the ministry and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Salvation is of the Lord first, last, and always. So, even though the people Peter is writing to experience life as outsiders in relation to the culture around them and they suffer for it, their faith in Christ makes them insiders when it comes to their relationship with God. The elect exiles in the sanctification of the Spirit, as Peter says, means that they are outside of power but inside a relationship with the powerful Spirit of God. They are outside of influence, but influenced by the work of the Spirit. They are outside of economic rights, but inside the favor of God. They are outside of security, but secure in the Spirit. Outside of justice, but declared just by the Spirit. The world around us may consider sanctification or holiness to be really weird, but being Christ-like, that's what sanctified means, means to be Christ-like, to be like Christ, to be like God is just plain awesome, even though it's weird. So let's go to the next weird thing, the sprinkling with blood. All right, now we are really getting into it, aren't we? Uh, sprinkling with blood. Uh, here's the, well, I, I put in gray the, the stuff we've already covered uh, and in white, uh, just want to emphasize what we're talking about at the moment, the, the sprinkling of blood. Isn't that kind of a turnoff? I, I mean, it, it's just really weird. I mean, you, you're, you're part of a, a, a religion that celebrates the sprinkling of blood, oh, where does that come from? Well, John Adams, you know, who was our second president, uh, considered himself to be a Christian, but uh, he had problems with it. He said it was the uh, best religion and the worst religion <clears throat> all at the same time. And uh, he had problems with Christianity uh, because it's weird, uh, but the thing that he considered to be most weird is this. Uh, he said Christianity is the most bloody religion that ever existed. Now, the need for the shedding of blood in order for sins to be forgiven was, was just too much for Adams. It was just too weird. But, you know, there, there were other things about Christianity that Adams believed to be too weird to believe, things like original sin, the doctrine of the Trinity, the incarnation, the atonement, eternal damnation, and the infallibility of Scripture. Uh, so Adams was of the mind that many people in the current day are of. Is, can, can we just shed all the weird stuff that Christians believe from Christianity so that it's more normal and then more people will embrace it? Do you want to take away the sprinkling of the blood? You want to take that out of the Christian message? If you do that, what do you have? You don't have forgiveness. <laughs> Let me tell you what else we don't have. We go back, when, when Peter talks about sprinkling of the blood, he, he didn't just pull that out of thin air. Because uh, there were three circumstances in the Old Testament where blood was sprinkled on the people. The first one was the establishment 
of the Old Covenant at Sinai and, and Exodus 24, uh, where you know, Moses uh, would have Aaron uh, you know, sprinkle the blood on the people. And then uh, there was the ordination of Aaron as his sons as priests. Uh, the blood was sprinkled upon them. And, and the third one was the purification ceremony for a cleansed leper. So when uh, you know, Jesus healed the lepers, they had to go to the priest and present themselves. And part of the ritual there is the priest would sprinkle blood on them to declare that they were cleansed through the blood. And so the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus accomplishes the same things. Uh, as it did in the Old Testament. First, there is a covenant that is formed. The sprinkling of the blood reminds us that we do have a, a blood covenant with Christ and also that we are all ordained as priests. We are a royal priesthood. Peter talks about that later on. And, and finally, uh, by the sprinkling of blood, we are cleansed from our corruption and sin. So each of these is ours through the work of Jesus on the cross. You get rid of the blood, you get rid of the cross, you get rid of the gospel. Now I want to change gears for just a moment and uh, be a little technical with you if I may. Um, so nobody's saying anything, so here we go. Uh, I, I have just a, a, a little bit of a problem with the way the ESV translates uh, this verse uh, from or this phrase from verse 1, this we are elect for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Um, the way that is uh, phrased is a little different from uh, the original. So if you would go to the original language, uh, it would literally say uh, something like this, elect for obedience and sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, what difference does it make what the word order is? Uh, well, it, it can make a, a, a very big difference uh, because in the ESV it tends to say, it seems to say that uh, obedience applies to us and uh, sprinkling of his blood is associated with, with Jesus. So uh, that's, what it, that's what we might uh, conclude. But the obedience and the sprinkled blood here both refer to Jesus. And it's not that obedience refers to us and sprinkling of blood is to Jesus. Um, but what Peter's talking about here, he's talking about the, the life of Christ. He lived a life that we could never live. Nevertheless, it's a life to which we are called to live. He lived a life of perfect obedience to the holy demands of the living God. And as his record of spotless righteousness, as well as the shedding of his blood on the cross, atoning for our sin, you know, all of that encompasses the good news. Without the shedding of the blood, without the blood that Christ poured out, we don't have a gospel. Our message will be just be like everybody else. Believe whatever you want. But Christ has made perfect, comprehensive provision for every single sinner. No matter how guilty you may be, 
no matter how deep and dark you think the stain of your sin happens to be. Because of Jesus Christ, today you can be clean, robed in the righteousness of Christ. Your guilt is atoned for and your sin is taken away by his precious blood. You are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling by the blood of Jesus Christ. This epistle, this section of scripture was written not just for the elect exiles in Asia in the first century. It's written for you. It's written for us. So in conclusion, here's what Peter is basically saying to the church. Yes, you are exiles, but you are no longer exiles from God. And I understand that you're scattered and suffering and there's so much, but there's so much more to reality than what you can see. You know, each person of the Trinity or the Godhead, as we call it, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have acted in love and commitment to you. The Father chose you, the Spirit set you apart, and the Son poured out his blood for you. So Peter wants his readers uh, to want what he longs for them and what I long for us here today is to hear and believe that the God who began this incredible rescue from our great exile will take care of us in this earthly exile also. When the, I read a story recently about the building of the Golden Gate Bridge. I have to really admire people who can work on a bridge or on a skyscraper. You may have seen pictures as people have to have molten steel in their veins. But anyway, they're building the Golden Gate Bridge in the first stage, and they didn't really put up any safety uh, measures or anything like that. And so uh, th there were uh, 23, 24 people who, who, who died when uh, you know, they slipped and, and fell. So when somebody would die, they'd just hire somebody else to go up there. But after you know, all these people died, somebody got the idea, you know, maybe we could put a net up there. <laughs> Uh, to catch people when, when they fall. Sounds like a good idea. And uh, so they, they did. And uh, there were about 10 people who, who fell, uh, but they survived. Uh, they were not hurt. But th there was something else that's re remarkable uh, about having put that net up there. Uh, they, they discovered that 25% more work got done on the bridge after the net was installed. And why is that? Because they knew they were safe. They had the assurance that they were safe. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, you are safe in the love of God. You're safe in his purpose to finish the work that he has begun. You're safe because Jesus has bought and paid for you and you were his, you were safe, and so you can face whatever comes. Yes, it's going to be sore and hard and long and difficult and confusing without question. But you can do it with 
confidence and boldness. Great confidence and great boldness because you are safe. The Lord has you. Underneath are the everlasting arms of God our Father, Jesus our Savior, and the Holy Spirit who indwells us. So go out there and be weird in a good way. Let the world see what the gospel is really like when people believe it in their hearts and live it out. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word, even these uh, two little verses which we often skip over when reading uh, one of the epistles. Uh, we see that there is just so much encouragement uh, there for us. And so Lord, I, I ask uh, that when we consider your word and we run across uh, words that might trip us up, uh, some things that just seem too weird to handle, too, too hot to touch. Uh, help us to get uh, to the point where we, we want to see the, what is beneath that. Uh, those weird things that we see in scripture that bring so much comfort and strength and hope and security. And for those exiles who may be exiled from you, I ask that you draw them in. Uh, pull them in by the, the power of your word and, and, and your spirit. We, we recognize that um, we can't make anybody come to life. Only you can do that. You do give us the privilege of opening up the word for people and um, reading together with them what it says and also being a, a living example of what someone who belongs to you looks like. But only you can cause someone who is dead to come to life, physically or spiritually. What an awesome God you are. What a privilege it is to be your elect exiles. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.